if I had one spay casting tip, it would be to keep your eye on your anchor. I'd, I'd call it the anchor, the golf ball, um, or the, the baseball. So where your line is anchored to the water, if you watch that, it'll tell you everything you need to know about the cast from the timing to the direction to anything else. So, um, don't watch your target or anything. Keep your eye on the line that's on the water there. That was Zach Williams sharing his best tip for spay casting. One of the best in spay today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Zach Williams, the editor of Swing the Fly magazine, is on to share some of his best tips on Spay and the Clearwater River. We find out about some of the misnomers in Spay, talk about who the Michael Jordan of Spay is right now, and discuss the best rods and lines for the long game. Please uh, share this episode if you get a chance with one other person today, if it's uh, providing any value for you. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsors. Since 1977, the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal has long been considered the Angler's Magazine, with original how-tos and technical articles written by the best trout and steelhead anglers in the West. They are committed to sharing exceptionally written essays, fiction, poetry, and in-depth guides to fly tying and fly fishing. FTJ is one of my go-to magazines, and if you haven't checked it out recently, you can get started today by calling 1-800-541-9498 or heading over to the web at ftjangler.com. GotFishing.com is your trusted source of information with access to the world's best fishing trips. You'll never pay a dime extra for the trip you book, and in many cases, less than advertised. Find out where GotFishing could take you by heading over to GotFishing.com today. That's G-O-T-Fishing.com, or reach them by phone at 208-630-3373. GotFishing.com, the easiest place to start your next fishing adventure. Here's Zach Williams from SwingTheFly.com. How's it going, Zach? Good. Thanks for having me, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, you know, it's been it's been a uh, it seems like a while a, a long while coming here because um, you know as I, I connect to more people out there, you know, swing the fly, wet fly swing. There's a few there's a few brands out there that have the swing in in the name, so it's good to connect with you here yeah. and talk about swinging. Um, but um, yeah, maybe before we get into the magazine and all that, can you just talk about how you first got into fly fishing, and then maybe you could bring it up to how the magazine started. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, try not to be too long winded with it. Um, I, uh, I was lucky. I grew up in, uh, Michigan, so great lakes fishing and, uh, was just fortunate to have a father who loved to fish and, uh, took me everywhere with him. Um, so I started, uh, I started fly fishing, both fly and conventional really young um i've got a picture of myself in diapers with a fly rod with my dad kind (laughs) of going through the motions casting (laughs) with me so um but uh you know when i was i my first memory of fly fishing was uh i think i was like five fishing a little neighborhood pond for bluegill and uh when i was about eight i decided i wanted to catch a trout on a fly and flailed away for a whole summer before accomplishing that but did catch one and uh and then i 
you know, through all that, I was gear fishing too. Primarily, we had a, a smallmouth river five minutes from the house, and we would go just cast crankbaits for smallmouth and uh, stuff like that. But when I was about oh, 12-ish, I decided that I wanted to catch a steelhead on a fly rod. Um, and so I got a seven weight for Christmas and got really into it and uh, then started, you know, fishing the smallmouth with the fly as well and uh, all of that. Kept, kept conventional fishing as well um, on up through that, but just became uh, more and more of a passion and uh, all through there. So all through high school and college. Uh, Did you ever um, take any breaks along the way in between uh, that 12-year-old and now? um not a lot no yeah no i uh you know i played uh i played basketball and uh golf in high school and that certainly took uh took up some of the time and uh but ended up uh quitting those before my senior year because i wanted to fish more and uh yeah and then uh through college uh kept fishing a lot you know got got into all the stuff that college kids do and, you know, hanging out with friends and drinking and stuff, but, uh, you know, still fished quite a bit, still managed to, uh, get out there and, uh, was regularly fishing. And by then I bought a spay rod and was doing that as well. So, Mm. Nice. So the, the basketball thing, that's something we have in common. I was, uh, basketball was one of my, well, my big sport in uh, high school. It's interesting. You, you quit your junior year. Can you, I, I wanted to touch on that just briefly. What, um, because I think of myself, it would have been crazy for me to think of quitting basketball and, and kind of for fishing. What, 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 what was that like? And why did you quit hoops? Why do why'd you feel you had to quit basketball for fishing? It's a big regret of mine, actually, you know, but I I quit after my sophomore year. So, you know, I was playing JV. We were uh, were a really good team. And uh, my junior year, honestly, I probably wouldn't have made the varsity team. Um, We went, uh, I think we finished third in the state. We lost, like, on a buzzer beater in the semis um, to go to the state championship. And fairly big school, hmm. you know, division and everything. Um, what was the high school that you went to? Forest Hill Central in uh, Ada, Michigan. But a bunch of the kids from that team went on to play even D1 basketball and professional oh, wow. in Europe. And what, one of my teammates went on and played at Wake Forest with Chris Paul and stuff. Oh, wow. So, you know, like really good team. Um, so anyways, I... I didn't try out i'd started working in a little uh fishing and outdoor store gander mountain eastern chain um i think it's since out of business or changed but i didn't want to i didn't want to lose my job in the fishing department Uh (laughs) and stuff like that so i didn't try out junior year and then uh senior year i tried out and uh the coach was kind of like, well, we could probably offer you a spot on the team, but you wouldn't play a lot. And yeah. so I was like, yeah. I was like, you know what? You should give it to a junior uh, who will get the experience for your team next year. And yeah. I'll just keep doing my thing. So there you go. There you go. Faded out from it, but I miss basketball, you know. Do, do you still, uh, do you still play at all? 
Um, yeah, I haven't played. Uh, we moved uh, last year, um, yeah, and right. I haven't played a lot since I moved. I was living uh, before this. I, I'm in Missoula now, but I was living in Pullman, Washington, where uh, Washington State University is. And uh, me and a buddy were going and playing with the college kids, which was uh, oh, wow. fun, you know, uh, certainly to keep you in shape and stuff. So we, we would go to the rec center and play against them, be the old guys. So that's that was right. fun. That's right. Yeah. You're bringing back some memories of myself back in, uh, the college days. Yeah. I was, I was out playing with some, uh, it was funny because I was out just this weekend playing with some kids on our, uh, in our neighborhood, right? These kids are, you know, they're like the neighbor kids. They're, I don't know how old they are. They're probably, uh, I don't even know, maybe high school, maybe sophomores, you know, it's funny, uh-huh. obviously sure. you got the man strength, so the, the kids can't come, come close to you, but man, I'll tell you what, the quickness thing, right? That's the one thing that, that's tough because, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? You oh, always yeah. had that quick as, but when you get to, you know, I'm, I'm in my forties now, so it's like, oh man, I, I don't have, they can beat me right on the quick thing. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. 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 It's different. You know, I, uh, I enjoy that. Uh, you know, being, being older now, you, uh, I think you have a better grasp on the mental side and yeah, the, uh, the strength typically, but, uh, I like trying to beat them with the mental game now, you know, since you know, you're going to be outclassed athletically. That's right. That's right. Cool. Well, we definitely could chat on basketball, uh, you know, the the whole thing here, but people would get mad if I didn't dig (laughs) it a little more on, uh, you know, the swinging and and some of that stuff. But, um, yeah, so how, so you've been, I mean, fly fishing has been your life. How did, how did you come up to to the magazine? How did that start? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there's a, you know, uh, 2010, I moved from Michigan, uh, to Washington chasing steelhead and, uh, started guiding shortly after. Um, so kind of just, uh, following the steelhead fly fishing as a life. And, uh, I got, uh, I got an idea for the magazine somewhere. I don't know, 2011, 2012. And, uh, it was really the, the motivation was, uh, just seeing and knowing a bunch of really neat people um, in the steelhead fly fishing world and uh, knowing that they had a lot of stories to tell and a lot of knowledge to share. And, uh, you know, Facebook was kind of getting big with uh, people at the time. And, like, there was a lot of, like, just beautiful photos and stories getting shared on social media or on some obscure blog and then lost forever. And I was like, somebody's got to put this on paper or in a a longer lasting form. Um, so, so it started with seeing, seeing a lot of the work from a lot of these people, um, and just wanting to share it. So Mm -hmm. that's it. Um, Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, so in, in 2012, you know, you had the idea for the magazine. What, what were the other big magazines that were out there? I guess that's the first question. What were the other big magazines that were out there then? And also why magazine versus, say, writing a book or <laughs> starting a podcast or anything else you could have done? Uh, I don't know. Lack of a better idea at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I was, as a kid, um, getting into steelhead fly fishing there was uh, a couple of things that were really influential for me. And one was Trey Combs 
steelhead fly fishing and uh the other was uh tom perro's wild salmon and steelhead mm-hmm. magazine and uh after that went away um i know myself and a lot of other people really uh, missed it and so you know that was a big influence on wanting to start something um and yep. tom was incredibly helpful uh in getting it off the ground and uh so that's yeah cool. that was that was it yeah that's it that's it yeah you mentioned two people i've uh, interviewed both of them i'll put links to the show notes uh, tom Perro and and trey so there you go so there's there's two pretty big mentors for you um I mean, anybody else, I guess, you know, right now you're a huge mentor for a lot of people. I've, I talked to a number of people before we did this episode and and they said, you're the go-to resource for them when it comes to spay and, and, you know, I guess you write the voice of spay, right? I mean, can you talk about that? Maybe first of all, who, who are a few of your other mentors or who influenced you in the magazine? And then, um, talk about, you know, how you think of yourself as a mentor. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about the, uh, (laughs) <laughs> the latter part, but the, uh, the former, you know, there were so many people who started, who got this thing off the ground just with their, uh, generosity. Marty and Mia Shepard uh-huh. were huge in it. Um, Rick Kustich in the Great Lakes. When I started it, I wanted to make sure I had, uh, it wasn't just Northwest focused. And so I reached out to Rick and he's been with me since the start and Marty and Mia. I mean, it never would have got off the ground without them. Yep. And, uh, Oh, there's too many to list. Hmm. Uh, Jonathan Barlow, um, up in BC, his photography and, uh, the very first issue I interviewed, uh, steelhead fly fishing legend mike kenny um he's been a huge help as well and as an angler uh he was certainly one of the most influential on uh, how i looked at steelhead fly fishing other than trey um and mike's in trey's book as well so um just in he took the steelhead fly fishing and the knowledge game to a whole new level to me so um it's a guy that i think uh doesn't get as much credit as he's due for that yeah. so yeah that's... and his photography i don't know if you've seen it is unworldly it's uh more a lot of landscape and wildlife these days as opposed to fishing but his photography is incredible oh cool Cool. Yeah. I'll try to look up something and maybe put a link to some of his stuff in, in the show notes. Um, well, let's, uh, you know, the magazine itself, maybe you can just start off describing, you know, kind of for somebody who hasn't read it or, you know, seen it, what it's all about. Yeah. Um, it's all about, uh, swinging flies primarily with the two hand rod, but, uh, certainly, uh, includes some single hander stuff as well. But, uh, it's, you know, the, history the art but also technique and there's a lot of fly tying and uh, try to cover a wide geographic area as well so uh, I have kind of a core team these days um, that includes Rick Kustich in the Great Lake uh, really well-known Atlantic salmon guy Topher Brown Mm -hmm. Sean Dahlquist up in uh, 
Northwest Washington on the Olympic Peninsula, really well known for his fly tying. And uh, Steve Bird, who I know you had on the show. Yeah, so um, I've got, and then I've got Travis Johnson doing uh, casting advice, uh, short casting column. So, you know, arguably one of the top couple spay casters in the world uh, doing that. So they form kind of my core team and then uh, have other content from people all over the place a lot of uh, a lot of regulars and uh some that come in for just an issue or two and try to mix things up do things a little different you know mm-hmm. i do a lot of a lot of big spread photography and try to let the imagery speak to people which is something uh you probably don't see in a, a lot of magazines and uh it's all printed on recycled paper which is Something that's been a challenge, but I'm proud of. Um, you know, when uh, 100% recycled paper is pretty hard to come by. But when I first kind of had this idea for the magazine, you know, I'd been a guide out on the Olympic Peninsula. And, uh, you know, as you know, it's easy to see the uh, the detriments of uh, logging to, uh, yeah. to steelhead. And I, it's, it's not that I don't use non-recycled paper for anything, but I felt kind of like it would be a bit of a hypocrisy to, uh, be talking about the effects of logging on steelhead populations and stuff like that in a magazine that was potentially coming from trees cut down on the banks of struggling steelhead rivers. So, uh, so we tried to do it a little differently with that. And, uh, so there you yeah. go. There you go. So I so I've had um, a number of editors of uh, you know different magazines and things like that um, you know over the years and I know you you talk about you know you as the editor maybe that's one of your things you're not uh, you know that's not what you've your career hasn't been set around you know editing um, can you talk about um, you know maybe your style as an editor and how how you you know, because I, I know like John Shuey was on way back and he, he noted that, you know, sometimes you get some stuff that's really, you know, you can get stuff that's not great, right? And, and the editor is the person who brings it, maybe fixes it, brings it to life. How, how do you deal with that and, and what's your take on it? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I'm a work in progress myself. <laughs> it is only hinted at a little bit, but... uh I started the magazine with just the idea that somebody needed to do it, and uh, I'm not a professionally trained editor, so it, it's been a work in progress and learning along the way. And um, you know, I as an editor, I I try not to uh, change people's voice. Um, so I probably at times have not been even as heavy-handed as I should be. Um, but I want I want to let you know let people come through authentically rather than it being what they want to say, but in my words. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and part of that too is you know just a lack of my own ability, especially in the beginning. So I'd like to think I'm a lot better at it now than I was then, but it uh, it's still still a work in progress. I'll be honest; it's always been a struggle as well, just in that. Uh, it's, you know, the, the money to make swing the fly go is tight. So, um, 
<laughs> there's a lot, you know, there's, there's not a lot of eyes on the end product as opposed to uh, when you look at a big publication. So, so that makes it difficult as well, but we do the best we can and uh, just try to uh, portray the sport in a positive manner. And uh, hopefully if uh, I screw up from time to time as an editor, people will forgive me for that. <laughs> how, how much time, if you look at it on a weekly basis or a month, however you want to do it, does it take you to, to put it all together? Oh, in the beginning, it was very much a full-time job. Um, as as it went down the road, I, uh, I've actually, I've taken a full-time job as an editor for another publication now. So mm-hmm. Swing the Flies become more part-time mm-hmm. in, uh, in the last year in particular. So in the beginning, I blended it with guiding, um, but I was never a year-round guide. I'd guide ball steelhead on the Clearwater and the Grand Ronde and do the Olympic Peninsula for a while. And uh, then it was swing the fly all the time in between. Um, now, now that I've stepped away from guiding and taken a full-time job, you know, it gets hard uh, to find the hours to, uh, to put the product out there and continue to keep the quality up, but uh, doing the best I can. Mm-hmm. And it come is it a quarterly magazine? Yeah, yeah, sure. So quarterly, so you pretty much you might have a time where you're getting it ready, or you know, or maybe you could talk about that the process just quickly, you know, how that works. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, everything's condensed a bit now because of the uh, the full time job, but it's always been like you know, there there's a lot of upkeep and uh, really what's sacrificed uh, now that I have another job is. Uh, you know, the maintenance of the website, stuff like that, honestly. But the uh, the magazine itself, you know, there's, there's a lot of coordinating and back and forth and arranging content um, in the in-between months. And then uh, there's usually, there's about a month of crunch on it um, where uh, copy editing, gathering, all the imagery, stuff like that, and then uh, building it into the layout and reviewing that. Um, so three, four weeks of uh, pretty intensive work on that part. Um, so yep, gotcha. So yeah, little breaks in there, but uh, no, it's pretty consuming. So perfect. Well, I want to get into a few, uh, maybe some of the. You know, the articles, tips, and things like that. In a sec, I, I just had one more thought on that. You know, you mentioned Tom Perro in the magazine um, that he had that's gone away. I mean, do you see yourself? I mean, now I guess it's early on, but do you see this magazine um, going on for a long time, or do you see maybe an end in its life cycle like you saw with Tom Tom's magazine? I'd like to think that, uh, that it'll continue for uh, as long as the reader wants it. Um, and that, you know, the readers and the writers that the writers still seem interested and the readers still seem interested right now. So it continues. Um, it, it's very possible that the format will continue to evolve and change as the industry does. So we'll see where it goes um, from here. But uh, I don't see Swing the Fly like disappearing yeah. completely or anything like that anytime soon. Yep. Um, but it is, it's, it's a tough, 
tough business, you know, Ma- magazines are a tough go. Um, mm-hmm. so that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It seems like there's only a few out there where the editors are, I don't know if there's, yeah, who the full-time people are, but you know, um, just like Tom by and you yeah, know, you know what I mean? Some of the big magazines, I mean, those guys are doing stuff on the side as well. It seems like there's not, I mean, is, are there any magazines where the editors are kind of full-time? Well, yeah, you just mentioned Tom. I would, I would think Tom was, but I'm not really yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I'm not sure, but you know, I mean, that certainly was my hope at one point in time with mm-hmm. Swing the Fly. It's just not really feasible um, at this time, and especially you know the Swung Fly niche of our fly fishing yeah. niche is is so small is it um, how how small is it what, what, if you just had to get like percentage wise make a guess uh, overall percentage of fly fishing that like, swing a fly yeah say in north america say say in north yeah uh, yeah yeah i don't know one uh, percent oh really <laughs> you think it's that small so it's not like 20 percent yeah i don't know what do you what's your guess um, yeah, you know, I would, yeah, I mean, it's definitely small, but yeah, because swing, I mean, you got it, well, you got dries, you got swinging, you got, I mean, because you kind of have the, you know, streamers, which is getting bigger and you can kind of throw swinging into some of that too, I guess. And, um, I, you know, I might guess, uh, more like 10%, you know, five or 10%, yeah. but I mean, it is kind of an older school thing that maybe feels like it's getting more traction again. Yeah, no, and I definitely agree with that. You, you know, when I say 1%, you look at fly fishing as a whole, so many of the people are uh, who who would be included in the, the entire fly fishing statistic, I think, are one trip a year, you know, they yeah. out here to Montana and right. have a guide for three or four days or a week and that's their fly fishing trip of the year. And so, so if you, if you think that, I don't know, 70% of fly fishermen would be in that category, 30% are regulars and avid. That's where I would then say, you know, only 1% swing a fly. If you look at, uh, really truly avid fly fishermen these days who are getting out there weekly or more um i think that swung fly percentage would increase and is growing you know that among avid anglers it certainly uh seems to be growing in interest and uh with the trout trout spay rods now you know i mean obviously the swung wet fly is a very traditional old school tactic but uh the spay casting things probably brought a little bit of new life into mm-hmm. into that especially with trout and uh so yeah no i think i think it's growing in that regard and uh yep yep no you've yeah it's 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 interesting we've talked i have another podcast that's uh, focused on more a little bit more of the online marketing side of things and um I've had some guests on there that have talked about niching down and the importance of niching down, right? When you're starting out in your thing and I mean, you're in ultra, mm-hmm. we've talked about this too, right? The ultra niche. I mean, you are in uh swing, yeah. you're in a super tiny niche, which makes sense why it would be a little bit harder to, you know, to build a full-time thing out of it because it's, it's a tiny niche. Um, 
uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I guess, uh, you know, that's one of those things is that, uh, you're kind of where you are. I mean, do you see the thing that the magazine evolving out of, you know, I think of myself, right? Wet Fly Swing, that came to me because this was more, that was, I love the traditional style and it was a throwback to that, but now I'm broadened out into all of fly fishing, right? Um, yeah. do, do you see the magazine evolving out of the, uh, from where it is? No. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it, it was, I, I started it as a tribute to this niche. And, uh, so no, it'll, it'll always be, uh, be the swung fly niche. Um, you know, I mean, we, I'll publish the odd article that's kind of borderline what we traditionally think of. What's the order? What, what What's the odd article that maybe what comes to mind you've published? It's kind of maybe not quite. Well, you know, we've, I've done some short pieces like tarpon on a two hander, you know, stuff like that. You're not your traditional swung fly per se, but, uh, and, and I like including that stuff, but, uh, beyond that, it, uh, it stays in that realm and I'll, you know, Steve bird, like the upcoming issue, his article is about a fishing trip, but it's not really a fishing trip. And so I, I like having the creativity in there too. Um, gotcha. So how do you balance some, um, and we're going to get it, like I said, we're going to get some tips and stuff in a bit, but you know, these are interesting questions for me because, um, they've come up on this podcast before with some guests, you know, but like the politics, I don't want to get into a politics, uh, you know, episode or anything like that, but I'm curious how you balance the politics. I know like Steve bird, uh, you know, I've had him on, we didn't talk a lot about politics, but I've had, I actually had, I was on a, um, you know, a trip with somebody who knew Steve and he mentioned that Steve, um, you know, it was pretty political on his, uh, the, you know, on his side or whatever. And it, to a point where, it, you know, rubbed him the wrong way. I think they were maybe a little more conservative, but what, what's your take on politics and how do you balance that in the magazine? If that comes up politics for me is where <laughs> swing flies a pro wild fish, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to get outside of the, the, fishing realm with the politics in swing the fly but you know we're a, we're a pro wild fish uh magazine and we've done a lot of work with native fish society wild steelhead coalition wild steelheaders united the atlantic salmon federation so you know we're we're gonna align with them on the issues um and uh try to speak speak for wild fish so um you know, I've been with Swing the Fly. It is it's a unique position for me as the editor and publisher in that uh, there, there's not really any check on me. So honestly, I can yeah. <laughs> I can you know write what I want politically yeah. or include whatever else politically. But uh, you know, we to me it, it's uh, it's not that controversial among our niche. I mean, if you're a steelhead angler right now and you're not concerned about wild fish, you, yeah. you probably should be questioning why you're fishing and if you should be fishing, because we have a lot of things to uh, be concerned about these days. So um, I think uh, I think my politics on it is that it's not okay to not care. We can differ in opinion, but uh, you better care about wild fish. Yep. So. Yep. And, and do you guys have uh, typically uh, a conservation piece or a writer who touches on that? Um, typically I work with those organizations and, uh, give them the space to, uh, share issues they're working on. Yeah. 
so so that that's how we uh include uh, a strong conservation element in it is uh i just i give them the space to talk about what they need to talk about and uh spread the word perfect perfect so so maybe you could talk i know you, you know the Clearwater you've covered and you've been all over the northwest and the midwest um but what what is your home river if you think of uh, swinging flies? If you just had to say, and I know you've moved recently, but but what is your home river right now? Uh, I'd probably I'd call the Clearwater River yeah. my home river. So it's still the closest river to me. I'm now in Missoula, but uh, yeah, the Clearwater was uh, where I really made my stay guiding, and uh, although I'm not guiding there anymore, and the fisheries in a lot of trouble, it's it's my home place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's clear water. Okay, and uh, and is that mainly, is that just for trout, or are you also, uh, or sorry, just for steelhead? But are you also swinging for other, you know, species trout or whatever? Uh, the clear water was uh, was a steelhead fishery yeah. to me. There's a there's a small stretch of smallmouth bass in there, and uh, hmm. the tributaries are world class cutthroat rivers, um, which I've spent a lot of time on. But the uh, the Clearwater itself, the uh, Middle Fork and Main Stem are, are steelhead rivers. That's it. And, and that's mainly because I know I've heard you're kind of more of a, you've been kind of a big fish guy, right? You like going for the big fish. How, how is that, you know, with Montana now, are you, um, it sounds like maybe you're doing some swinging there too, the trout space stuff. Is it, how does it compare uh, to steelheading in some of the, think of your greatest moment steelhead fishing versus your greatest moment swinging flies in Montana? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know, like I, I love swinging a fly for trout. Um, for one, I, you, I can still find some solitude doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know if the like pure excitement equals out on a fish by fish basis, but you can, you know, get a lot more action in a day typically. And have some really nice time on the water. So, um, I, I love the, the trout spay. Um, I've, I've been fortunate to do, swing a fly for a lot of steelhead for quite a few years between the great lakes and out here. So, uh, it, uh, time for me to give the fish a break <laughs> more than anything. But yeah. See, you know, seeing, seeing a steelhead come up to a dry fly in particular, there's, there's a few things like that. And, uh, you know, gr- grabbing onto uh, the tail of a Olympic Peninsula steelhead with sea lice hanging off it. You know, I can't yep. can't say that a 18 inch trout is the same as that, right? <laughs> so you 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 remember this the steelhead for a lot longer, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. You got. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. There's just no comparison for for this steel. And I I think a lot of the steelheaders. You know, I don't know exactly if it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but uh, I think a lot of us have the same feeling, you know, when it comes to that, that it's hard to compare anything else. And, you know, I haven't been around yeah. the world, you know, I haven't fished for everything, but I mean, when you compare it to some of the other species, is that kind of how you feel too? Uh, yeah, you know, I, ha- I haven't done a, a lot of, uh, salt water. I've, I've covered most things here in freshwater, but, uh, mm-hmm. um, saltwater certainly intrigues me a lot but yeah steelhead atlantic salmon i think the little bit of i've done of that yep. those fish in terms of freshwater are are the apex to me 
Um, but there's a lot of, I mean, the, the cool thing about fly fishing is each fish species is, uh, you know, the experience is so different. So, you know, the, the fish, the steelhead, the Atlantic salmon and that individual fish, there might be no match for that, but, you know, going out and, uh, catching bass on top water or, uh, you know, yeah swinging a mouse fly at night in the great lakes for big brown trout. I mean, there, there's cool things that, uh, the excitement is different, but yep. really awesome not to be discounted either. So totally. that's cool. You know, it's, it's a cool thing in fly fishing. If you get tired of one fish or doing one thing, you can change it up a little bit and go do something else and still fly fishing, but it's so different that, uh, the things you enjoy about it are completely fresh and new. So, exactly. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good take on. Well, I want to start us off just with a few of the questions here. Um, you know, and I want to start off with uh, Tim, who I know you. Uh, you know, Tim Rollins, Lane Speed Jet. I, I told him I was going to give him a shout out on here. Uh, oh yeah, because he's you oh, know, yeah. he's the man. I, I love Tim. Um, I, I asked yep. him. You, you know what question? <laughs> yeah, you know Tim. I mean, how, where did you first connect with? Have you known Tim a little while? Hmm. Only a couple years, I think, in yeah. person. Uh, oh, I forget. I think it was just that uh, he showed up at the Clearwater Spay Clave, uh, the Red Shed Spay Clave, a oh, couple yeah. years ago. And uh, we got chatting him, myself, Bruce Cruck, mm-hmm. um, about casting. And, you know, I'm just, I'm a casting nerd too, and uh, just love the intricacies of the Spay cast. And, Tim's enthusiasm for it is infectious. So yeah, he's, uh, he's just, he's cool dude. So. And now a quick word from our sponsors, gotfishing.com, a boutique booking agency for fishing adventures around the world. Got Fishing is unique in working with a small hand-selected group of outfitters from around the world that are known for providing an experience that is second to none. Got Fishing can be your trusted source of information with access to the world's best fishing trips. Their sole purpose is to help you plan the most authentic fishing venture while making sure it fits within your budget. The beauty is that everything they do is 100% free. You will never pay a dime extra for your trip, and in many cases, less than advertised. I can attest personally to the service that Got Fishing provides as they have been working with me closely to set my first trip to the Yucatan for saltwater. They have taken care of all the important details and allowed me to avoid worrying about any of the complications. I know Brian and the crew have you covered at Got Fishing. Whether you need a fishing consultant, travel consultant, gear pro, or the like, they have you covered. With top-of-the-line outfitters they represent around the world, they are confident they have just the right trip for you. You can give them a call at 208-630-3373 or head over to gotfishing.com to get started today. Let Got Fishing help you plan the fishing trip you've been dreaming about. I forget that in the center are rivers and fish unspoken for. That there are valleys, the strata of which we lower into perhaps in the hollow between breaths. In the tiny pause between the rise of summer and its departure, I nearly forget the long sieve of winter, the absence, the fractional glimpses of light. Dear one, I will go without speaking. Ablaze, keep me until I disappear. That was a poem by Molly Dam in the summer edition of the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. On top of uh, some great poetry, as you as you hear here, uh, FTJ is jam-packed with another round of great articles in diverse departments. 
Joseph Rosano uh, is back again, provides another classic steelhead uh, lesson for everyone. We hear from Garrett Lesko in a stacking deer hair frenzy. Find out about striped bass from Angelo Peloso. And hear uh, from Dave McSe- uh, McNeese on singing the blues and material dying. Lots of additional articles in the summer edition, including an editor's interview with yours truly about how I became a fly fishing podcaster. Craig uh, did a really good job with this one, so I'm, I'm pretty uh, proud uh, to be in in this edition. I believe I have found the perfect sponsor for the show. I would be uh, it would be really great if you can uh, support FTJ by heading over to ftjangler.com and subscribing so you don't miss any of the tips, tricks, and stories in the next issue. That's ftjangler.com to get started today. And uh, tell them, uh, tell Craig and the crew out there you heard about um, the magazine from the podcast, and I'll find a way to uh, put something extra special together for you. Okay, back to the show. What would be what would be a more interesting topic for you to talk about uh, if we had, you know, another thirty minutes here? Uh, kind of, uh, you know, the casting, the spay cast, tips on talking about that, or uh, more of swinging a fly, tips on swinging a fly. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I like both of them a lot. <laughs> I, I can geek out on either one. Okay. So. Okay, good. I, I, I was struggling with that. I was struggling with that. I tried to come up with kind of an arc or a headline for, you know, I try to focus it a little bit just because I think it helps uh, guide the conversation. And uh, so I think I, I yeah. kind of land on spay because it's been such a struggle for me, you know, like I think a lot of people over the years. And I guess maybe let me start off first again with another question for you. Did, did you teach yourself? Did you ever have any lessons? Did you ever pay anybody for a casting lesson? How, what, what's that all look like? Um, I never paid anybody for a casting lesson. I've been fortunate to get some help. I would highly recommend paying for a casting lesson. Um, yeah. So don't follow the way I did it. It was, it was a long process. You know, I, uh, I started out, uh, when I was like 16 years old, I bought my first spay rod and, uh, it, it was a long process to even, uh, achieve like basic proficiency. Um, (laughs) what was it? What was the rod? Uh, it was a St. Croix Imperial. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier in the conversation, but I was working in this little sporting goods store called uh, Gander mountain and we were a St. Croix dealer. St. Croix is based in the Midwest. And there weren't, even in 2000, you know, there weren't a lot of rods on the market. Sage was obviously doing it and some other ones. But St. Croix came out with this Imperial, and the retail cost was 250 bucks, And we got a pro deal, so I paid $92 for my first spay rod, brand Perfect. new. <laughs> so, um, but I had, uh, all I had was this, uh, it was a I VHS recorded uh, from Saturday morning, a Fly Fish America episode. And, uh, they were the guy, uh, I think his name was Mike and you, maybe you remember his last name, who was the host, but he was uh, on the Skagit with Trey Combs hmm. and, uh, Scott O'Donnell and they were spay casting and they had, uh, there was like one clip of Scott doing a double spay. And, uh, I mean, I, I rewound that little like seven seconds I don't know, a thousand times to figure out how to do this double spay and, uh, you know, got where I could get the line out there, but yeah, it was, it was a long process when, uh, whenever it was that, uh, Simon Gosworth's Rio, yeah. the multi-disc 
DVD came out. Huge. That like, I mean, that brought me leaps and bounds within a few days of uh, having that DVD. And uh, then beyond that, it was just, you know, it was it was a process. And uh, when I became a guide, I had had this just kind of uh, one of my childhood friends' dads, nothing to do with fishing, not an angler or anything. But out of college, I started working for him, and uh, he knew I wasn't going to stick around and work for long. Um, and he just gave me the advice one day. He said, uh, kind of fatherly, he said, whatever you choose to do in life, just uh, try to be the best at it, which mm-hmm. yeah, sounds obvious and <laughs> stuff. But he's like, and if you can't be the best, be the second best. And, you know, so when I became a guide, I, I decided with spay casting that, you know, I'm going to try to be the best I can be as a caster and a guide um, just because I wanted I wanted to be good at what I chose to do in life. So um, yeah. I, put a, I put a lot of time into spay casting. You did. Uh, and uh, just a lot, a lot of repetition, including just practicing, not fishing. So. You know, I think your, your average angler probably doesn't practice aside from their fishing. They show up at the river and go fishing. Yep. And uh, I put a lot of time into just casting. <laughs> that's it. So that's that's actually a, a great tip for anybody listening that's probably struggling is that you need to you need to practice like anything. Um, on the guiding thing, so I'm not sure how long you guided, um, but you know, guiding, and I've had lots of guides on here people that have done it their whole lives, people that haven't. Why, why didn't you stick with guiding? Um, long, well, several reasons, I guess. One, continued to see the fisheries that uh, I was working on struggling, and uh, I no longer felt good about uh, what I felt was, you know, taking from that resource for my own benefit and, uh, continuing to watch them struggle. So, um, that was probably the biggest reason. Um, but secondary was, uh, you know, my, I'm married. My, my wife was in a job that was really stressful and stuff. Guiding Hmm. (laughs) is a tough way to really support a family. And, uh, it was time to, step up and uh, yep. so I made, made the decision to uh, make a change you know get get a career that uh, maybe even involved some health insurance and stuff like that so um, that's where we're at now there's there's plenty of things I miss about guiding being on the water every day is uh, yep. something that's uh, hard to match you know totally. <laughs> like just being outside and uh rowing a boat i never would have thought i'd just miss like the act of rowing a boat so much um and then the friendships you develop over the years of guiding you know so many of my clients i'd been guiding for quite a few years and uh are good friends um and so miss miss doing that but uh there's pros and cons to it all so for sure, for sure. Well, let, let's get back to Tim. Uh, Tim had a, a couple questions here for you, and one of them was he wanted to, was curious about uh, myths with uh, spay casting on, on the technique. Can you talk? Are there what what myths are out there that are I don't know anything you could speak of there when people are 
you know, <laughs> trying to become a proficient spaycaster? Yeah, you know, the, uh, I mean, my, my biggest thing I've preached when I write about spaycasting or talk at events has, has been the concept of the anchor, anchoring the fly line on the water in a spaycast. And I've always talked about how that is the most critical component of the cast. Um, so I guess, you know, I've been fairly critical at times of spay casting instruction being too focused on body mechanics. And hmm. you have to do it my way. Like you have to right. move your arms in this way or that way. Um, my goal has always to been to get to what the essence of what makes the cast go. And, uh, I've talked about golf a lot and, you know, be, being that you like other sports as well, you know, you, you look at golf, everybody swings a golf club in a different manner. Everybody shoots a basketball in a different manner. So, you know, to me, the, the idea that, you know, I've got to move my arms this way or that way, um, just didn't hold up as, uh, the essence of what makes the spay cast work. So, um, gotcha. So that's, that's what I've always been. And, uh, Tim and I, I guess, if he wants to get more critic or into more detail on the, this, I, the, uh, there's a concept of the V loop that's been touted in spay casting, like energizing this, the fly line on your back cast essentially. Um, and to me, that's never held up, (laughs) never had, uh, had merit in the cast. So, uh, so I've tried to uh, dispel that a little bit. Um, and you're talking probably, about you're talking about the like a V loop versus just a D loop. Correct. Yeah. And and, and the thought is, is that if you have more of a V shaped uh, loop, that you're going to ha- have more power or be able to cast further. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and it's it's never held up. It's probably easier to demonstrate and explain over the phone, but it's never held up to me. Um, so you get people really like speeding up their whole casting stroke oh, right. to try to achieve this V. It was energize your D loop, energize the fly line. So you start speeding up all this stuff and everything else falls apart. Exactly. And uh, so my, my casting philosophy um, has been, uh, to summarize very simply, eliminate as many variables as possible. So, so you, you want to move the rod at, in the same manner, at the same speed and tempo for as long as absolutely possible in the cast. And so when you start speeding up this, trying to create this magical V loop, you have introduced a new variable that then needs to be adjusted for when you go forward into a forward cast. so so you're you're just you're you're making consistency very difficult to achieve whereas i think if you when i was i mentioned you know how much i practice casting when when i would when i was doing this i would practice like i break like the basic spay cast like a double spay into three steps right you first you set you set the anchor and I would practice that one step and try to get as consistent as possible with that. And when you're consistent with that, you've eliminated variables. You know, if that line is landing in a different spot every cast, 
that's a variable that then is going to affect the next step. And so, so I, I tried to get consistent with that step and then I moved to the next step and I tried to get consistent with that. And, you know, Hmm. it's a little methodical and maybe borderline boring to some people, but through, through getting consistent with each step, you're eliminating variables until you get down to the very last instant of the cast and everything is consistent over and over. And then on the forward path, forward cast, you can create distance. Once you understand all those other things, you know, you, you can give it a nice soft little forward cast, just like you would do with a little trout rod. Yep. And uh, a 20-foot cast with the dry fly, you know, the spay cast. You only want it to go 30 feet. You you <laughs> give it just a nice little forward cast. And uh, if you want it to go a little further, you're going to accelerate just a little bit more at the last instant. Um, and so, so just consistency yeah. has always been the goal with all of that. Um, and then, you know, the distance part is something that's a, a whole nother topic. But right. I think as, as an angler, you know, as a spay angler, if you want to be an effective angler, consistency is going to be far more important than the distance. And you need to be consistent. You need to be able to cast. You need to cast off of each shoulder on each side of the river. So no matter the wind direction or obstacle, you always have a cast that'll work. And if you can cast a modest 60 feet off of each shoulder, each side of the river at a consistent angle and turn the fly over consistently, you're going to do really well as an angler. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're, uh, if you're chasing all these like magical things that are make the fly go farther and, uh, one cast works and the next three fail, you know, you're really going to struggle. So, yep. yep. No, those are great. Those are great points. Um, what is, uh, you know, when you talk about turning the fly over, you know, what does that look like? And what does it look like when you're not turning a fly over? Uh, can you describe that? Or, and I'm not sure if that were in the stroke that comes from to make sure you get that right. But can you talk about that, how, how to do that correctly? Uh, yeah, I mean, turning the fly over means your, your leader, your, your sink tip, whatever is all laying out nice and straight. And, uh, I mean, then to me, that's, that's what identifies a good, any fly cast, single hander or double hand and spay cast is, uh, the fly line turns over and, uh, the fly is the furthest out thing where it lands and, uh, the line lands relatively taut and, uh, mm-hmm. obviously certain presentations we want some slack in there introduced on purpose but we won't get into that (laughs) how does that affect with you when you do a perfect spay cast you know it lays out there perfectly versus maybe somebody who casts and you know they kind of pile it up or it's not great but then they do a big mend to get it in before it's kind of in that zone is there a, a big difference between i mean obviously there's a big difference but as far as fishing wise yeah yeah absolutely you know getting the fly turned out turning over nice and taut means it's fishing right away. The fly and your line were to land in a pile. We don't really know what that fly is doing. I mean, it might be three quarters of the way before you're through your swing before the leaders actually come taut and is, uh, fishing with our chosen technique properly. Um, 
So turning the fly over is just, I mean, it, it's all about just like the casting, you know, it's the swung fly method is eliminating variables. So we want the cast to turn over at a consistent angle across the river, lay out nice and straight, fish across, and then we move down river and we want it to do the same. So when these things are changing, you're, you're missing spots out there. You know, like if one cast turns over taut and swings and then the next you move down river and the next cast lands in a pile, you've missed a chunk of the river in there. And, uh, you know, once or twice might be okay. But when that's happening consistently as you're fishing on a, over the course of a day or longer, I, you're, you're missing too many spots. And when a fish that's as rare as a steelhead you know, you might miss the only fish that was in there and willing to bite. You missed it on that cast that didn't turn over. So, yep. And your buddy, and your buddy hooks, hooks up with it behind you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're just trying to cover as much water as effectively as possible. Yeah, that's perfect. What about, uh, can you describe, you know, that you've mentioned a little bit on the forward stroke, but can you just describe a little more detail on doing that correctly and how that starts and ends? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, the forward cast on your spade cast with a two hand rod. Um, to me, you're, you're using both your hands, but your top hand is guiding the rod down your target line which uh, is shown by your anchor. So if you're looking at your anchor on the water, it should be pointing at your target and your forward cast should go down that line. Um, and so your top hand's gonna guide the rod down that while your bottom hand's gonna power it. So a smooth pull of the bottom hand, your top hand guiding the tip down that line. There, there's obviously a lot more you can add yeah. into it that's the basics of it. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so you've been in the, uh, the Spearama, uh, you know, and I think you've been ranking pretty well. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, what that event's like and, um, you know, maybe, you know, your experience there? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's the world championship of spay casting. It's uh, hosted down at Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. Uh, well, I'll I'll tell you. I mean, a little story. I I think it was 2011, 12, 2012 was the first year I went down there, and you know I'd been practicing a lot. I thought I was pretty good at spay casting, and uh, I show up there, you know, get off a plane and take a cab and pull up at this place and. Uh, for the golfers there listening, it's it's kind of like Augusta National to me. <laughs> um, I mean, in there, there's like the rhododendrons and like azaleas are flowering in April when we're there. It's it's like the Masters. It's it's just a surreal scene. These huge eucalyptus trees and this Angler's Lodge with all this like fly <laughs> history and uh, the club's been there forever and. Uh, so it's a really neat setting and I show up my first year, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, I, I can do this, you know? And, uh, you walk over this little hill past the angler's lodge to the, the casting ponds. And I mean, my jaw just dropped. Um, <laughs> it's fun. Like the, the timing of me doing this was pretty incredible in that by far the best spay caster 
at least in recent times, if not ever, Jared Downey from Ireland was in the pond casting. And I just see these lines just, you know, just shooting out over this pond. And like, you can hear them, like the speed is which they're coming off the rod. And I just look and I'm like, I am so outmatched <laughs> being here. And, uh, so, you know, once you get over that shock factor where you're like, I shouldn't even step foot out there and try this, like, yeah. I'm way out of my league. But the cool thing with Spearama is that everybody is so welcoming and everybody started like that mm. and people are helpful and nobody judges you if you're not on the level of Jared Downey because none of us are. Mm. So we... Yeah. uh you know, I made I made it through that first year being terrified of embarrassing myself, and uh, came back for more punishment. And over quite a few years, got a little better at each year. And uh, there was quite a few years of disappointment, and uh, finally started to uh, achieve at least some of my goals for down there. And uh, you know, it's gotten the event's gotten a lot of. Uh, like you'd read on internet forums and stuff like that at times, you know, why would anybody want to do that? It's casting, not fishing and stuff. <laughs> not Nothing's ever taken my casting in a fishing situation further than mm-hmm. competing in Spearama. And, uh, you know, when you, when you learn to cast 150 foot, a hundred foot or 120 foot becomes easy. And, uh, turning the flyover becomes easy. And, you know, so, so the, the whole like idea of the event, I mean, it, it helped tremendously on the fishing standpoint as well. So, um, just a cool place, you know, I think last, obviously this year didn't happen because of COVID, but, uh, last year, I want to say it was 14 different countries were represented there. Uh, so you just, you meet a lot of neat people as well. Um, Sounds like it's a pretty amazing thing. I mean, just, uh, you know, and uh, Jared uh, Downey, he's, I mean, what is it? What is the thing with, with him? I mean, I always think of you use the golf analogy, which I think is great because I think of, um, you know, a couple of things. I think of like the, you know, like golf's the same way, right? When you try to kill the ball, it goes haywire and it never goes well. Yeah. Same with casting. But also when I think of golf, I think of Tiger Woods for me, just because when I was into golf, Tiger was this bigger than life, right? He was the best, like, Oh yeah. Is Jared Downey the same thing? Like he just started when he was like one year old with a, a spay rod and, and that's why he's so good. Or why, why is it that that guy is dominates? I, I do think he, he grew up, I believe on the, uh, might have to fact check me, but yeah. I believe it was the river boy in Ireland. Um, and I do believe he grew up on the river. Um, like I, the stretch, this is a stretch for yeah. <laughs> facts wise, but I, I, I want to say like his dad or somebody in his family was a ghillie sure. and he was at, at a time, but isn't now, I don't believe. Gotcha. But yeah, the river Moy in Ireland, I think is where he grew up. Um, but I don't know what it is about that, that made him so good other than wh- when he cast, he, he looks the most effortless out of anybody huh. and it goes the farthest. Yeah. So he's, he's the smoothest, <laughs> you know, he, and it goes the farthest. So he's, he's like the Ernie Els golf swing, you know, it was like oh, yeah. just, just smooth. Never, never looks like he's trying hard. That's right. That's right. 
and uh, and what what is the distance wise? Is there a record or what, what do you you know at this Bayorama right now? I'm not sure how all the competition works, but is there like a a certain a record right now on longest cast? Yeah, Travis Johnson has the longest single cast, 198 feet. And uh, Jared has the record for four cast. Um, I want to say it's like 732 feet or something like that. So we we measure four cast. You get you get 12 cast. There's a you know you have a, a left shoulder cast and a right shoulder cast, essentially simulating each side of the river. So what what everybody does is a left hand up and a right hand up single spay and then a left hand up and a right hand up snake roll Hmm. and you get you get three attempts at each one and you take your longest of each one so the total of the forecast is what's measured Mm -hmm. Uh, so jared's got the record uh for the men's open uh 730 some feet um i think for the forecast um Whitney Gold holds the women's record, and uh, I should know who uh, Martin Keeley, also of uh, Ireland, holds the uh, the seniors' record. So there's three divisions: men's open, senior, and women. Mm-hmm. So cool! And yeah. it sounds like an event that no matter who you are, if if you could make it, it would be a cool event to attend just to watch. Yeah, yeah, awesome event to uh, show up and watch. I mean, the the Golden Gate. Have you been to the Golden no, Gate? No, I, ha- I, I haven't. No, I mean, you know, for anybody who's in San Francisco for any reason, it's just regardless of it, if Sparama is happening, it's such a cool place to visit. I mean, it, the lodge is like a little angling museum, and the ponds and everything. It's it's really neat. You can show up and cast fly rods, uh, get in the pond any time of year, cast single hander, or get in with waders and cast spay rods. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. Really cool place with a lot of angling history. So nice. Well, maybe I can, uh, yeah, get a get a guest. I'm not sure who would be a good person, but I, I could follow up with something there to, to dig more into the the casting club. I know we that that name obviously it's come up quite a few times over the years. But um, hey, let, let's dig back into you mentioned your home water. It was kind of if you talk steelhead, it's kind of the clear water, and I know it's been struggling, yeah. and I think it was even closed here the last couple of years, but. Can you just take us to the clear? Yeah, well, it was. Can you take us to the Clearwater and talk about, um, you know, how you catch steelhead there? Just saying, a, a typical year, and I'm not sure if it's different from any other rivers. Yeah, yeah, I think you know it is. Um, the Clearwater is essentially the Clearwater and the Snake here are the the biggest steelhead rivers in terms of volume and width that we have. Uh, certainly in the lower 48. Um, so, and the, these are summer steelhead coming up the snake and we're typically fishing for them in the fall. And, uh, so floating lines because of the size of the river encounter larger spay rods than, uh, you typically find on other rivers. So while, while you can certainly can, and plenty of people do fish your typical 13 foot seven weight spay rod, uh, the clear water, you'll run into more 15, 16 oh, wow. and longer, uh, foot rods than anywhere else. That's right. And, uh, and it, it, it's been a cool place for me to, uh, grow myself as an angler and a caster. Uh, 
it, it's a place where truly distance um, plays a, can play a role. You know, you can catch a fish 30 feet offshore for sure, but there are many of these runs in particular with other anglers and stuff fishing them where, you know, being able to reach out further plays a big role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so between that and Spearama, it's a neat, play, neat way to grow as a caster. Um, and then beyond that, uh, the clear water fish are large and extremely uh, surface oriented. So mm. you really, you never need a sink tip on the clear water river if you don't want to. And uh, you can catch them on a dry fly, on a wake dry fly. Um, or, you know, your typical fly is a small, smaller than average, drab little hair wing or classic mm-hmm. steelhead fly. Um, so smaller flies than are typical on a lot of places. And, uh, yep. yeah, like, like, uh, just kind of si- like eights and tens sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, you know, you can catch them on a bigger fly, a size two or whatever, but you know, I would say a six or an eight is, uh, your typical yep. fly for typical conditions. And, uh, I always like to fly with less flash, you know, and yeah. I think like, Rivers like the Deschutes and stuff like that, you'll see a little more flash in your flies than uh, you would on the clear water. So, Gotcha, gotcha. And and is it more uh, kind of just uh, morning, early mornings, evenings, or are you fishing all day long with the dry line? All day. Oh, you are all day all long. Day. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, you know, and if you get into the differences with different rivers and stuff, the clear water, the sun is at the fish's back, other than like mid morning, the sun is at their back. So they're not looking into, into the sun. No. And so it's always been a river that fishes really well all day long. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, And even, I mean, some of the best fishing can be, you know, one in the afternoon and bright sun and heat and, uh, yeah, no, no need to go to the sink tip. You see people doing it, but, uh, I don't, you know, for people who fish there regularly, I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who felt they needed a sink tip. That's perfect. And it's a lot of, uh, like you said, traditional, and it was kind of funny. I think Steve, uh, Steve and bird might even have mentioned it, but you know, a lot of guys even wearing traditional like gear out there, right? The, the tweed hats. <laughs> is that, is there any oh, truth to that? <laughs> I don't know. I might have to disagree with oh, okay. Steve on that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, so, I, <laughs> you can find somebody wearing anything if you want but no okay it's uh no i i mean what's unique about the clear water i think is that is this distance casting scene the pretty much everybody from the u.s and canada who routinely competes at spearama can be found on the clear water in the fall so you'll see some of the best casting in the world driving up and down highway 12 um gotcha so it, There's a cool scene of that just like each, you know, each of the famous steelhead rivers have their own unique scene and everything. Um, yeah. the clear water's got it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, uh, and including like uh, Klaus, Klaus Freemore, right? He's, he's been, um, you've guided him on that river, correct? Uh, guided for him. Oh, guided for him. Oh, oh, right. Because, yeah, oh, that's Klaus, right. Klaus owned the permit Clearwater steelhead syndicate that I guided for, uh, you know, up until my, uh, that's my right. exit from, um, but yeah, yeah. And Klaus, you know, Klaus is unique 
being uh, the Euro in the bunch and yeah. uh, the the Scandi caster and stuff. So not not the big long line long rod guy. Klaus always stuck with his thirteen foot rod and Scandi line and yep. of course did well for himself as a great angler and caster. So yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. We, I had him on recently as well and we had a great conversation about that. So, okay. Yeah. I listened to go to it. That was a good talk. I enjoyed it. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, there's some of that, you know, the underhand casting and just a different take, but obviously, you know, loop is a huge company. I mean, what, what are the lines? So when you talk about, can you just describe the, you mentioned 15 foot and longer. Can you talk about the rod and lines that you're typically using for those tradition, you know, this, the stuff you're doing there? Oh yeah, I mean there there's a bunch of companies that make yeah. great equipment, you know. So I don't like to yeah. push people well, one what, way or another. What if somebody was just gonna? I mean, where, where would you direct them? So somebody, you know, you know, you got the Snap T and all the shorter stuff and the the OPST, yeah. right? All this stuff. But you know, if somebody wanted to, and it sounds like there is a little bit of an evolution, right? After in your spay life, I, I'm not quite there yet. You know, yeah. back to the old school, but. If you were evolving back, where, where would you send somebody as far as, you know, what, you know, gear to get for that? Oh, sure. Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I like, uh, I like a couple of rod manufacturers that have been great to me, like Miser Fly Rods and uh, Bruce and Walker Fly mm-hmm. Rods. Bruce and Walker's company that, uh, out of the UK, that uh, the competition gear. Um, oh, right. We've got a North American distributor, Gene Oswald, who's just a really, really all-time great person. And uh, so he's he's the guy on Bruce and Walker rods and in North America. And they're just like the misers too, you know, Bob Miser, just incredible human being. So mm. I like those guys, and uh, they both make great fly rods. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the cool thing about the spay and two-hand world is we have these, like, niche manufacturers and custom gear you know so you're talking with the guy who makes the fly rod or you know designed it like that which is really neat um so for the long rod certainly i like that stuff um but you of course you don't have to spend as much money as a custom rod comes in there there's so many great companies that have been good to me good Mm -hmm. to swing the fly yeah you know for I've often said that if, if I were to quit working all together and just become a fish bum again in my life, I'd just sell everything and buy Echo fly rods yeah. for a really good. <laughs> That's you right. know, like That's right. I know. get everything you get from Echo for uh, and save a lot of money and <laughs> be able to live cheap too. So yeah, I love I love um, Echo. Love Echo. So do you have sponsors on on the magazine? Yeah, the Swing the Fly hat has uh, you know fair number of uh companies who've been really good to me so i mentioned them there the miser the bruce and walker the echo um they've been great the in terms of custom spay reels farlex reels mm-hmm. i mean the, those guys have been with me and supported it since the start um yeah what about lines then, what, what about lines yeah i mean you know the the longer lines are more of a niche thing you mm-hmm. know there's there's not a lot um gale force fly fishing has uh made i mean they they've made you know the top competition line 
for a long time. And then, you know, because of that, their fishing lines are really good as well. Um, gotcha. Ballistic fly lines is another That's one that right. comes from Davison, who's also Sparama contributor. Um, yep. And the shorter stuff, airflow and scientific anglers have been great to me as well. Um, and I think make great lines. They're more shorter lines though. And I, I do everything mm-hmm. in my own space machine. It's not just long line stuff. But uh, certainly there are, there's still more options out there for the short lines, but the long lines are more and more becoming available. So uh, Bruce and Walker, uh, Gene Oswald, he's making a line now, boss fly lines. But those gale force, I mean, it's really hard to go wrong with gale force for the longer stuff. Perfect. Perfect. Well, uh, Zach, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up pretty quick. I just had a couple more I wanted to ask you here. And one comes from uh, Ryan Christian, who's a new uh, kind of in the Facebook group, in our Facebook group. And he was asking about, and this is one that comes up, right? It's always a common question, but, you know, finding finding fish and reading water. So if we take it to the clear water, you know, you're new. I just run out there here this fall and I'm, or, you know, maybe I come up in a good year, right? When there's some more fish, but, you know, how, how are you reading the, the water there and finding fish if you're new to it? That is a, a good question. Other than the obvious to look where other anglers are fishing. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you, you look when you figure steelhead, I think it helps to, to think like a steelhead. I mean, you're talking a migratory fish, you know, um, so they, they like the path of least, least resistance and then they need security from predators. So, you know, if you can find softer current, which the clear water has, um, an excess of it's a lower gradient river through a lot of it, but softer water where the fish isn't expending too much energy and then security in the form of structure, rocks, large rocks, ledges, stuff like that. Um, the water I avoid is, is water that's, you know, small cobble, pea gravel of all the same uniform size, not a lot of variation in, in bottom contour. Um, so yeah, you find, you find that darker water with some big boulders and, uh, the right speed of current and, Mm -hmm. uh, you'll probably find fish. The clear water is a crazy river. I mean, it's a cool river in that it can take it. You couldn't fish it all in a lifetime. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, two runs can look equal and one can hold a lot more fish than another, but steelhead, you can also, you can find them anywhere at the the right uh time and uh so things will surprise you too so you know as as a new steelhead angler i would recommend covering as much water efficiently as possible so you're not rushing from spot to spot but you know take a cast move on a on a summer steelhead river with warm water i would refrain from the you know moving as we always talk about moving two steps between casts Mm mm-hmm I, I would make that four steps on the clear water and cover more okay. pieces of water if it were me. And, uh, you know, so don't spend all day in one run and throw yeah. all your eggs in one basket. You know, the more, the more runs you can cover in a day, um, while still having fun and not racing around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you're, uh, but yeah. so you're covering maybe a hour per run or something, something like that more in that range. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Clearwater has huge runs. So some of them you can spend two, three hours on and 
depending on your personality, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but, um, covering, covering more small runs is, is not a bad strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, are guys, uh, is this more of a kind of drive to hop out fish uh, or more uh, drift boats, stuff like that? What's that look like? It is. I mean, you can, you can run a jet sled, you can, you can float, um, but it also has highway 12 bordering the entire thing with tons of pullouts and, uh, and a lot of other stretches of road on the other side of the river as well. So there's, there's a ton of walk and wade access. Are there any sections where you can actually get completely away from roads and have access to good water? There aren't, there aren't really oh, no on kidding. the clear water. No, the high the highway does the entire length. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So so you know, wilderness experience. Uh, it is not per se. Um, you know, although I think the scenery is great on the clear water, and standing in that clear water is uh, you can easily forget about the highway, but it is there the whole way. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, that's... it's not. <laughs> overnight multi-day float river like the Deschutes or the Grand Ronde or something. That's cool. Yeah. I, I had a Frank Amato on in a while back and he was talking about, you know, the Deschutes. I, I talk obviously a lot about the Deschutes, but, uh, yeah. you know, he was saying how he was involved back in, I think it was the seventies when they were planning on cutting a road through that lower 25 miles. And, you know, he was a big part back with, you know, the stuff he was doing to help get the word out to protect it and you know now it's it's a roadless right i mean you know there's no cars down there and it, it definitely yeah. makes a difference it's interesting that uh, you know obviously all yeah. rivers are different but that's that's kind of cool well and we we owe a debt of gratitude to people like that who <laughs> work to keep those places that way for us you know so yeah yep, for sure I, uh, I, while i love the clear water as much or more than any river i certainly appreciate the uh the road lists wilderness stuff so always like spending my time i'd guide on the grand ronde overnight trips here fall you know in between the clear water and always appreciate the chance to get away from the roads and stuff like that that's it yeah i wish we had uh, another hour to talk about the grand rod but uh let's wrap uh, uh wrap it out here with um the 222 which is just top two tips flies and resources and if we keep it on the clear water do you have a couple of nice uh kind of if we wanted to look up a couple of flies that you love using out there uh yeah yeah um i'll give you a couple i guess uh the uh the green ant was always my favorite oh, cool. uh, kind of sentimental thing as well but that's found in trade comb steelhead fly fishing uh mm-hmm. the pattern can be found in there it's just a simple little hair wing um mm-hmm. and uh if i was going to just pick one other fly for there it'd be some sort of dark hair wing um the night dancer was a frank amato fly oh, that yeah. trey loved uh so that that's not a bad choice i've caught a bunch of clear water fish on that fly as well but a darker hair wing um but you know, yep. uh, well-rounded for the clear water would have some sort of dry fly, October caddis type muddler or something, and maybe a Lady Caroline mm-hmm. um, in a little bigger size, and you'd be set with three or four flies. You'd never have to change. I mean, if you were to pull out my guide box, pretty much those four flies, there'd be you know yep. thirty of each of them and <laughs> nothing else. There you go. All right. Perfect. And, and what about tips? If, if we're talking, let, let's keep it on the, the spay casting. Any, any other, if you want to throw out a couple yeah. of tips. 
sure. Uh, if I had one spay casting tip, it would be to keep your eye on your anchor. I'd, I'd call it the anchor, the golf ball, um, or the, yep. the baseball. So where your line is anchored to the water, if you watch that, it'll tell you everything you need to know about the cast from the timing to the direction to anything else. So, hmm. uh, don't watch your target or anything. Keep your eye on the line that's on the water there. Perfect. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and then, um, so, so you got that set up. So after you have the anchor and you're heading to the, the second part of the cast, what, what, any other tips there as you're kind of going to that forward part of it? Be smooth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> keep, keep the line, keep the line moving. Um, and just be nice and smooth with it. Don't try to hammer it. Yep. So yeah, hit hitting it hard is not going to create better results yep. in any circumstance. Yeah, exactly. So that's right. Yep. And then, um, you know, obviously swing the fly is, is a good resource. Any other couple of resources that maybe aren't your own uh, stuff that people could, uh, you know, help them out with spay or, or swinging flies. Oh, you know, when I, when I was getting started, uh, spay pages had, so mm. much nice info. If I, if I wanted to wanted one resource though for all of this, I would buy Trey Combs' old steelhead mm. fly fish, the, the 1991 hardcover version. Um, from from the history of the sport to the technique of swinging a fly to you know the classic fly patterns. I mean, you could learn everything you needed to know outside of there's not much on the casting, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that's still relevant and, uh, you know, to me, it's certainly the, uh, the best book. Uh, there's been some other good ones, but uh, it's the book on the subject. Yep. So, yep. um, yeah, I would, I wouldn't swing the fly. Wouldn't have, wouldn't exist or, and I wouldn't be here doing this without that book. So that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. No, that's obviously Trey is huge, huge influence on all of us. Um, uh, well, let's see. I guess that's that's about. I, I definitely wanted. To, we didn't touch on the Backcountry Journal, which um, is another group. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, we're you're you're connected yeah. to. I hear a lot about them. Yeah. <laughs> Did you want to maybe maybe we'll hit that up if we get y'all down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Backcountry hunters and anglers. The the nonprofit and Backcountry Journal is uh is the full time gig now. So yeah, working on conservation stuff, which uh, is rewarding. But. There you go. So you're, you're taking it. I mean, that's a cool thing. Is there just quickly, is there the connection between, it seems like, you know, fly fishing, the backcountry, you know, everything you got there. It seems like it's, they're pretty closely, well, not aligned, but obviously conservation. What's, are there a lot of similarities between the two niches? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, between steelhead and stuff like that and backcountry, I don't know. I mean, wild places and wild creatures, you know, to me, the, yeah. even though just talking about the clear water having a road along <laughs> it, a steelhead is the epitome of a wild creature when you look at its life. And uh, I don't know, I've kind of centered my life around wild places and wild creatures. So I, I love, you know, wilderness and roadless areas and stuff like that and uh i love interacting with wild steelhead but wild creatures like elk and deer and Mm -hmm. stuff like that too so i i think that that's the connection for me personally is uh just being closer to nature that's it did you ever know 
when you started, say 2012, I can't remember where we were at there, but did, it was backcountry. Was this uh, ever even a thought in your mind as far as the, the job that you have now? Oh, <laughs> no. I, I mean, when I, when I started swimming the fly, I never would have known that uh, my career path was going to lead to magazines and editing and uh, stuff like that. And uh, I probably became aware of uh, backcountry hunters and anglers in like uh, 2015 leading up to 2016 election when public lands were oh yeah forefront you know and a couple people started uh wanting to sell off public lands and uh i saw this group you know working to uh organize against that and uh having impact on on preventing that from happening and so i said you know these people are doing something that uh i really like and so uh Hmm. yeah no it's it's crazy though the twists and turns life takes. You know, I I never would have known I'd be here. No, no, that's no. awesome. All right, Zach. Well, I, I could talk to, to you for a, a few more hours, but I'll, I'll let you get out of here. Um, I guess in the next uh, few months or the, the rest of this year, obviously COVID's crazy. But anything from Swing the Fly? What's the next uh, issue that's coming out? Uh, next issue should be out towards the end of this month. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, got a. Another really, uh, really strong lineup. I, uh, you know, I, I feel like Swing the Fly is something that, uh, I mean, my goal has been to improve every issue, you know, but at times, I mean, I've just continually been impressed by the writers mm-hmm. and uh, them continuing to up their game, the writers, the photography, stuff like that. It's, it's not my doing. <laughs> they, yeah. they just, they, they do a great job of being creative and, coming up with neat new things so uh that's cool that's cool yeah i got a new one coming out in a few weeks and then uh and then a fall issue to round out the year will be out probably end of october beginning of november perfect perfect all right and if people want to support you and get the magazine just uh, swingthefly.com yep swingthefly.com all right, Zach. Hey, thanks for taking the time. We've uh, we've dug into a little bit a little bit of everything, and that's how I like to roll here. So uh, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing uh, all the stories and tips and everything. Yeah, enjoyed chatting with you, Dave. Thanks for having me. Okay, we'll talk to you later. All right, sounds good. So there you go. If you want to find all of the show notes and all the links and stuff we talked about today, just head over to wetflyswing.com/slash one five one. I created this show for you. I'd love to hear how I'm doing and if there's a way I can make it better. If you head over to uh, wetflyswing.com slash members, that's M-E-M-B-E-R-S, and uh, sign up for our private uh, Mighty Network. This is the, the group we have going where you can ask questions um, and take things a little bit further, and it's a, a private group in there. So be great to uh, connect with you if you're in there just say hi Uh, this is a a great place uh, that we're all uh, moving the conversation forward Uh, thanks again today for stopping by checking out the show looking forward to talking to you soon and maybe seeing you online or on the river thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com and if you found this episode helpful please subscribe and leave a review on itunes